0: Today on the Beginner Photography Podcast. The pros and cons really come with uh, dynamic range, with sharpness, uh, you know, low light performance. Uh, if, if you need low light, having a larger sensor helps. Uh, if, you, if you shoot video, sensor size doesn't matter as much um, because if you just look at any movie, seriously, look at any movie – and pause it at a scene that looks pleasing to you i guarantee you that uh you can see the background it's probably not blurred out uh in in most cases uh super super shallow depth of field is not used in cinema very often uh typically cinematographers shoot at f5.6 or f8 often
1: welcome to the beginner photography podcast today we are talking all about gear And I mean all of it. (laughs) So let's get into it.
0: Welcome to the Beginner Photography Podcast with Raymond Hatfield the podcast dedicated to helping you grow your photography skills. Raymond interviews the world's top photographers in their field to ask questions that will get you taking better photos today. Now, with you as always, husband, father, home brewer, L.A. Dodger fan, and Indianapolis wedding photographer,
1: Raymond Hatfield. Welcome back to this episode of the Beginner Photography Podcast. As always, I am your host, Raymond Hatfield. This week's intro, I'm going to cut very short because as I as I alluded to in the uh, in the, you know, in the uh, I don't know, intro, <laughs> uh, we talk a lot about gear today. This is a very very long uh, interview. In fact, this is my longest interview I've done. This is the longest episode of the Beginner Photography Podcast. So, we're going to get on into this Quick. But uh, like I said, it's a long interview in a good way. Um, so today I talk uh, with somebody who reviews camera gear for a living. They do this all the time. And uh, as well as uh, talks to incredible other photographers on the Golden Hour podcast uh, presented by Polar Pro. So to say that he knows about gear is a complete understatement. Now in today's interview, I ask a ton of questions and it gets deep, you know, at times, um, after you, after you've been shooting for a long time, right. As a photographer, um, gear talk just kind of comes naturally to you. And there's a lot of times that I, you know, that I notice some, okay, I take that back that I, that we'll just be talking about an acronym, right. Um, that i understand because i've been shooting for a long time but something that you might not understand that you wouldn't get so i i wanted to bring them up in the interview but it felt like it was overstepping on on dave today's guest so i didn't want to do that so uh we go so deep that i made a glossary of terms for things that will be referenced in this interview and you can find that in the show notes so things like um I mean, we go over things like, you know overexposure or underexposure, but then also things like in-body image stabilization. We go over things like that. So uh, if if there's ever anything that you're questionable about, like, well, what does that mean? Just check the show notes of this episode. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can just swipe up and see them there. So uh, on top of that, Dave, in this interview, this is I do all my interviews through video. Uh, so Dave shows off a few of the cameras that he's talking about. Uh, So if you ever feel lost, I try to explain what I'm seeing, right? But if you're more of a visual person, this is going to be a great interview to watch on uh, our YouTube channel, which you can find just by searching for the Beginner Photography Podcast. So uh, no updates uh, on my life this week or what I've been shooting, which has been a lot, especially when it comes to film. So if you want to keep up with that, be sure that you join the Beginner Photography Podcast Facebook group by just searching Facebook for Beginner Photography Podcast, and then you can join there. And that's where uh, you can keep up to to date with me, what I'm doing what I'm shooting and uh, all the fun new updates with the podcast so that's it let's go ahead and get on into this interview right now with Dave Mays today's guest is Dave Mays Dave is a professional camera gear reviewer for Kinotika it is his job to tell you the good the bad and the ugly of all the new cameras that come on the market so that you can make better informed buying decisions because let's face it camera gear is not cheap and Dave will be the first person to tell you that so Dave thank you so much for coming on the podcast Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm really excited to chat with you today. On top of, uh, you know, reviewing gear professionally, you also host the Golden Hour podcast for Polar Pro, which has been a fantastic podcast to listen to. Uh, And I'm really excited to get into that. But before we do, before we get into any of this fun stuff, I want to know how you first got your start in uh, which actually isn't. Is it photography or is it videography? How did you get video? This? Yeah, yeah, okay. how did you? Get yeah, you I never video?
0: I never uh, took really photos and never was really super interested in photos um, but ironically, just like a lot of videographers starting out in two thousand and eight, we were shooting on dslrs like the 5d mark ii and uh, a lot of people thought we were photographers but we weren't i would never knew how to use a flash or what a shutter speed was past 150th of a second (laughs) um and uh yeah so i've i've just been shooting video now for the last 10 years professionally and then before that you know as a kid i just would goof around with my brother and my friends and make shorts and um You know, I've always just been super fascinated with video and uh, filmmaking in general. Um, my first, uh, time using After Effects, I was, I think 13 or 14 years old and I made like a lightsaber duel, um, (laughs) with After Effects. Uh, I think think that's everybody's first start. Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) always the best. is the best thing to do. And, uh, so I did that and I did some animation as well. I thought I wanted to be an animator actually, and, uh, pursued, uh, going to college for animation. I was going to actually go to Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia. Um, and I wanted to pursue that. Uh, but I started shooting weddings when I was about 17 years old, sh- shooting wedding videos. And uh, a friend of mine uh, had, a, had a company and I started working with him. Um, he was shooting on camcorders uh, when I first started. And then just a couple months after I started working with him, the 5D Mark II kind of revolutionized the industry in 2008, 2009. And uh, we sold all of our camcorders and bought a 5D. And literally overnight, our little Nashville wedding film company became one of the most (laughs) cinematic-looking... companies in the entire city and uh you know it was a bunch of kids it was you know not kids but teenagers i was 17 i think the guy i was working for was like 20 21 and uh, his name is jeffrey holland good friend check him out full frame cinema still around still cranking out awesome wedding stuff and uh he really went with that name after switching to to yeah (laughs) he did he did and then uh yeah and then matt underwood another guy a friend of mine too we all did that together and uh we were kind of the only guys in town shooting out dslrs in 2009 uh with the exception of one or two other people And we just got a ton of work. And uh, Pinterest was new back then. Uh, We had a couple of videos kind of hit on Pinterest, which then gave us kind of a a national, uh, you know, Platform People were hiring us from New York and California, and uh, we did one in uh, New Orleans, and it was a lot of fun. It was kind of a whirlwind moment for those five years, like when Joe Simon and Still Motion were uh, doing stuff with weddings Films and Same Day Edits, all right. that kind of stuff oh, happening back then. Do you remember Joe Simon? He was yes. amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um,
1: it's funny so, that uh, I would imagine that first year of switching from, uh, from camcorders to... Uh, the DSLR is that probably that whole first year, all those photos or the, those videos were pretty tough to get in focus, I would imagine. Uh, Switching yeah
0: it's funny i again because i was so fresh at that time i I, of course always loved shooting stuff but i never knew about depth of field i didn't understand aperture i remember we had a 20 the 24 to 105 kit lens with the 5d which is an f4 aperture and i remember asking my buddy who owned it i was like why doesn't this go to like 2.8 and he's like (laughs) well it's an f4 lens i'm like but can it go to, like, one-four also? And he's like, are you joking? I was <laughs> like, yeah, I'm joking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so, a tough thing.
0: That's a tough thing to understand um, when you first get started. You had to, I had to learn about aperture. I had to learn about shutter speed. I had to learn about all those things. And uh, getting into the DSLR, even though it was all manual, even though there was no autofocus or anything like that, uh, it just – I think it was good. It was like almost going to film school because I really learned – the practical uh, way to shoot. Now, when I pick up any camera, I can shoot full manual everything and uh, and I know how to do it, you know, yeah. because of that experience and, uh, you know, there were ways to to get things in focus back then. Um, because, you know, if you're not from that time period, the the DSLRs did not have any type of autofocus at all for video. Um, so w- I was mostly just eyeballing it at, from the back of the screen, which works surprisingly well, especially when you're shooting. Fairly shallow. It's pretty easy to see what's actually in focus. Mm-hmm. Um, there were things called the Z Finder from Zakuto, which was like a a giant kind of magnifier that you put on the back of your screen. Oh that, yeah, I that helped. That. Uh, that helped substantially, but. We were usually using the Glidecam HD 4000 uh, with the 5D with a 24 millimeter prime on there. And we would just kind of use the magnification tool and uh, just check our focus on whatever we're trying to focus on and then hit record and, you know, just trust that it's in. And because it was a little softer than 4K, you know, is these <laughs> days. Yeah, a little um, bit of wiggle room to be honest, even that 1080p on those 5Ds, like, it was kind of a soft 1080p to begin with. It almost looks like a 720p, like, upscale or something. A lot of people actually have said that maybe that's what they were doing is a 720p upscale, but um, so it was pretty easy to get away with it, and at the end of the day, the brides uh, and the clients that we had were just thrilled and could not believe how high quality the things were. And then when we started adding drones to that just a couple <laughs> years later with the original DJI Phantom, the yeah. Phantom One, with the Zenmuse that was only a two-axis gimbal, Uh, we put the GoPro on that. Once we started doing that, boom, like, things just took off like crazy. We got hired to shoot, like, drone stuff all the time because we just had a drone. And uh, it was just a really fun time. I feel really fortunate to be kind of that age and that uh, level where like even now new things are happening and I'm already becoming kind of an old man about like <laughs> even autofocus and stuff like that I'm like ah you got you have to know how to shoot manual and yeah. whatever um but and I remember a lot of the older filmmakers when the DSLRs came out they're like the bit rate is terrible and there's no focus peaking and there's no waveforms and you can't even autofocus at all or whatever and uh i was just like i don't know what you're talking about this is like somebody handed me this camera and i'm starting from scratch so this is my only perspective is this yeah uh what's you gotta a make bit- it work what's a waveform i don't <laughs> you know i don't know i don't need those things yeah uh, i remember the the one thing that killed me was like a lot of older people with those cameras they were like it's got a 12 minute record limit how do you how do you deal with that i'm like you just have multiple cameras and you stagger them like it's not that <laughs> big of a deal um now that cameras don't have those things and they've implemented things like waveforms and stuff i see what they were saying it's like once you have those things it's hard to go back so yeah a lot of these pro shooters were used to professional camcorders that had all those features and now they don't have it but the image looks great so anyways that's a little history lesson but that's how i started
1: (laughs) (laughs) no that was a great history lesson that was great uh and i think being thrown into photography uh is is really the best way to do it i've been asked multiple times you know should i go to um film school should i I go to school to get my degree in photography and my uh, answer is always kind of like, um, I I really don't think so. I really don't think that it's it's a necessity. And, you know, you right here are proof of somebody who didn't go to film school and yet just spent a lot of time with a camera. And now here you are. You 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 know photography, you know videography, you know exposure, and you know more of the technical stuff. So you don't Absolutely. have to go to school. It's not like these hidden uh, secrets, you know, that only
0: schools have access to or something. But uh, Absolutely. And uh, But I, I will say with a caveat there, you need to be a self-starter. You need to be somebody that is... Uh, somebody that can learn on your own and uh, have that discipline. I've always been uh, just jumping into things as long as I can remember. So it, it's just a personality trait of mine, too, where school for me, I just didn't fit in there. I didn't like it. So some people love it and some people really thrive in that, having a teacher or something. Um, but I do think the prices now for these art schools are ridiculous, and uh, you'd have much better luck investing in uh, some gear and investing in your business and just going after it. You know,
1: yeah, but, and a lifetime supply of like you know online courses, and it'd still be yeah, cheaper. Exactly. Than, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yes, what's this called?
0: Sk- uh, Skillshare. If you use the link below, you save ten <laughs> yeah. percent. Uh, but no, Skillshare—they're uh, a company that works with me on Kinantika, but um, they have like just tons and tons and tons of content and it's like what like 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month i don't even know but it's incredible um yeah so there's lots of assets now with uh, the internet
1: yeah so when you first got started though just being kind of thrown into this world like here's the camera go for it what would you say was probably the hardest thing for you to learn um about uh i guess like the exposure side of things what was the hardest part for you to understand and, and 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 grasp
0: yeah, so uh, when I first started shooting video, and again, I'm going to just preface, I know this is a photography podcast, but I do have this video uh, perspective. So I think this can still apply to photographers. But Exposure also, is exposure. Also, also I think um, if there's any photographers listening who maybe want to start doing video, some of these things that I'll, I'll share will be helpful. Um, one of the main things for me with exposure is that I learned, uh, with the DSLRs especially was n- just do not overexpose. Like if you overexpose that highlight that's in the skies, like those are gone forever. You, c- you can't bring them back. Now, obviously if you're a photographer and you're shooting a raw image and you do overexpose a little bit, there is a little bit of uh, range there with the raw file that you can pull back in Lightroom. But I never had that luxury because I'm essentially shooting a JPEG, you know, with the video, with the MOV file. So I would actually expose slightly under uh, because I found for video, it was easier to kind of boost those levels up in post-production than it is to pull down those highlights. Sure. Um, and one of the big mistakes that I made early on, and I don't know if it's a mistake if it's or if it's just something that was necessary uh, with our quick running gun shooting, but with video, Your shutter speed is actually supposed to stay locked at 180 degrees, which is a filmmaking term. Back when uh, the celluloid, when the when the film would go through the camera, the shutter would actually do a full 180 degree uh, flip on each frame of that. Uh, you know, film, and so if you're shooting at 24 frames per second for example, which is like the cinema standard you need to be shooting at 1 of a second to have proper motion blur, when you look at your hand moving in front of your face there's a natural blur that our eyeballs see, it's not a jittery sharp image when I move my hand back and forth, so cameras need to have that same kind of look and aesthetic it's very subtle, it's something most people can't even pick up, and when I was starting out, I was actually Adjusting my exposure using a sh- uh, using the shutter. So I was oh. jack I was jacking up the shutter <laughs> to like one one thousandth of a second. <laughs> and i was shooting at 24 frames per second and that's fine like honestly Ryan. <laughs> exactly there's there's a lot of people who don't even notice it but when you see it once you learn it it's wrong it's incorrect it's not the right way to shoot and so that's where an nd filter comes into play because essentially when you're shooting video you want to shoot a exactly double of whatever your frame rate is so if you're shooting at 30 frames per second you need to be shooting at 1 160th of a second if you're shooting at 24 you need to be shooting at 1 48th of a second if you're shooting at uh, 120 slow-mo a lot of people don't know this if you're shooting slow motion slow-mo shots you actually have to jack your shutter up to 250th or uh, technically 240th of a second um, and in a lot of cases if you're shooting low light slow-mo if you're cranking your shutter double 120 240 that 240 a second. That's a lot of light, so you have to have light. So, um, anyways an ND filter or a variable ND filter can come into play there and uh, can really help. And I started using uh, just straight ND filters using a magnetic adapter called uh, the Zoom adapter. It's spelled X-U-M-E. Mm-hmm. Um, I just invested the money, bought a set of 77 millimeter filters, um, and I adapted all my lenses to that. The Because the, essentially the largest lens that you own should be whatever filter size you own. Yeah. And then all the smaller ones just adapt up. That way you don't have to buy a bunch of filters um so i got adapters and i put these little magnetic uh adapters on every lens i owned i only owned three lenses at the time uh i think it was like a a telephoto or like a 50 um the sigma 18 to 35 1.8 which is amazing and then the then the tokina 11 to 16 which is another great crop Mm -hmm. sensor lens Um, and those magnetic adapters just like made life so much easier i had four filters um from every you know stop that I needed for low light shooting. Uh, and even, you know, and then super bright sunlight and those magnetic filters just popped right on the lens. Super easy. You don't have to screw them on. And, uh, once I started doing that, that really helped me with my exposure. That really helped with the, obviously the motion blur for video. Um, and that's something that a lot of photographers, I feel like might not know, uh, is that 180 degree shutter angle rule is what it's right. called for video. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when you
1: see that your camera goes up to one 8,000, 000- of a second for a shutter speed, why would you stay at you know one forty eighth of a second uh, uh, exactly. shutter speed? But yeah, it does. It definitely makes uh, more sense for video and, and gives it just that cinematic look that uh, that everybody's looking for because it's it's <laughs> like you said, it's what it's what it's what our eyes kind of naturally see, and uh, looks fantastic. Yeah. So all right, that was a great kind of intro as to how you got started into uh, videography and kind of obviously what was. Uh, the most difficult part of, of of learning how to control your camera. Now I kind of want to know, as a professional gear reviewer,
0: uh, yeah. when did you
1: start reviewing gear, and
0: why? <laughs> yeah, so I actually had a job uh, that I was not enjoying. I was freelance my whole kind of adult life until. Uh, two or three years ago, I got married and the freelance life, as you know, uh, can be really rocky financially. And so my wife and I decided it was time for me to maybe get a real job uh, for a period of time. Um, I've never had a real job in my life. I am a college dropout. You know, I have always been like, no, I'm not going a job. I'm going <laughs> to be freelance, self-employed life, you know? Um, But it was really kind of a a humbling experience and it was a really – I actually learned a lot. I worked for a guy named Dave Ramsey. He has a company that helps people get out of debt in Nashville. Uh, He has a big radio show. And I was on the video team there, so it wasn't like I wasn't involved in video. Um, I learned a lot about teamwork. I learned a lot about – you know, what it's like to work for a corporation. Uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun. I made, made some great friends, but at the end of the day, I wasn't happy. I was not satisfied there. I was only there for 10 months, but um, those 10 months taught me a lot. And we were able to kind of stabilize ourselves financially with those, with that paycheck for those 10 months. And uh, I ended up quitting my job because I just did not enjoy The nine to five. It just was not for me. Um, but while I was there before I quit, uh, I started a YouTube channel and that was really when I, I fell in love with YouTube. I saw it as a creative outlet because, um, in my job I was not getting creative fulfillment at all. Um, and so I essentially would just kind of sit around the office and like daydream about my YouTube channel. And then as soon as five o'clock would hit and everybody would go home, I would go to Dave Ramsey's studio and use the cameras, use the set and film my own YouTube videos in the, in our set. Okay, so, cool. Uh, which was cool by the way I had permission to do this so I wasn't, <laughs> Dave's not listening uh, to this right now yeah yeah Thinking, hey, wait um, a second. <laughs> if Dave was listening to this podcast oh, man, Dave, this if podcast you're listening, yeah. <laughs> should be really po- like it'd be so big that'd yeah. be amazing he's, if he's not listening, listening to this, this. podcast uh, hi Dave I yeah. know you're listening he's busy um, making a thousand other podcasts <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Um, but anyways uh, that was really where I fell in love with it and I started doing it and I quit my job um, and And i just started doing youtube more and more i obviously wasn't making any money um but i I had a couple of reviews of like the canon m6 uh that came out and i immediately reviewed it because a friend of mine had one um i bought an 80d and it was year 2017 i think and uh I made a video saying is it worth buying an ADD in 2017 can you imagine it took this long the 90d just came out like (laughs) last week I made a video like two or three years after the ADD came out and it was already old so uh, it's 2019 and it just updated anyways I digress but um, that video did really well Um, And I was able to be fully just myself in the videos. I have this kind of quirky sense of humor. I love uh, highlighting the awkward moments that I have where maybe I have a weird face or something strange happens in the scene that i'm in and i zoom in on it or i add text in a funny way Uh, i get a lot of that from one of my favorite youtubers ethan klein from uh, h3 productions h3 h3 Um, and then uh, tim and eric awesome show great job that was another big show that i loved Uh, monty python i grew up watching the flying circus so i have this i do have a weird kind of quirky dry sense of humor and i really love highlighting that in my videos And I was really never able to exercise that until now with, with those YouTube videos. And, um, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. And, uh, I got an offer to host a channel called Keyotica, which I'm hosting currently now. And, uh, I'm doing that full time. And, uh, yeah. So, um, I was kind of in this transition when I quit my job. My wife was pregnant, uh, when I quit my job. So she was, she was so happy that I did that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, thankfully our insurance and stuff was all fine. And we were able to, you know, have the baby fine. Everything was good. But I did weddings again, just straight out of the gate. And uh, and then I started doing YouTube and the YouTube started getting more and more. And with Kino Tika, uh, I was getting paid. I was actually making money off of that. And so I told my wife after the baby was born, I was like, okay, I am at a point now where if I only do Kinotika, we could make like just enough to survive. Uh, and if I quit doing weddings, that'll give me more time to do YouTube stuff. And I feel like if we just put the rubber to the road for the next six months, it'll pay off, but there's going to literally be like six months, maybe even a year where we're going to be financially kind of struggling, not struggling, but like we're just going to have to be on a tight budget. Mindful. Yeah. We, yeah. We can't go eat out anymore. Like everything mathematically works for our bills, but uh, we're not going to have a lot of wiggle room. And thankfully, my wife was like, you know, I told you to get a job. You got a job. You hated it and you quit. So I think you should probably go do what you're thinking because I believe in you if, if you feel so strongly about it. And so there was about six months or so where financially it was tight. But what happened was because I was so laser focused and I actually did have Saturdays open, like I would take Saturdays and Sundays off instead of work Monday through Friday on Kinotika and then shoot a wedding on Saturday. I literally actually kind of had a real normal schedule for the first time and uh, it was healthy for my marriage was healthy to be, you know, I was a new father at the time and I wanted to be there for them. But. I was able to focus only on community it was so nice to just only have one job and it was something that i loved anyway. so i had a lot of fun with it um i was able to hire a guy named connor mccaskill he was my editor and shooter and that changed everything substantially when i I actually had somebody who was waiting for me at the office uh that got me out of bed that i put you know a shirt on like i'm wearing like uh sweat shorts right now even though i'm wearing like a collared shirt on the yeah. top like that's that's uh, life when you live at home and you work at home Oh, oh right. man. like preach <laughs> I just know. wear just wear slippers all day yeah. in your pajamas you know i got dressed up for this <laughs> nice yeah me too <laughs> although i wore i'm wearing a hat mostly because i didn't like take a shower yet so my hair is all <laughs> messy you know um yeah i get it <laughs> but uh so, anyways, the, all that was just so good, and we we kind of had a big break uh, at NAB um, that year. Uh, Black Magic. Uh, was rumored to announce the pocket 4K, uh, which we all know and love, the Black Magic Pocket Cinema mm-hmm. Camera 4K. But it was just a rumor, and I knew that it was probably gonna happen. And so I told Connor, We're waking up, butt crack early. We're gonna get down there. I'm gonna stand let's stand in line. Let's be first in line. When they open the doors to NAB, we're running to, to black magic like as soon as possible. And so we did that Um, we shot the video in like 10, 20 minutes and then I went in the cafeteria and just edited for like two hours. We posted it, uh, you know, essentially two hours after NAB opened and we immediately became the kind of the, uh, the news like breaking of the pocket 4k. And that was our first kind of viral, if you want to call it video, we hit a hundred thousand in a day, which I think at the time we only had like 2000 subs. Right. So it's crazy when something like that happens huh it was so crazy it was so great uh i think we you know quickly grew to like six seven thousand subs that day and then throughout the week we ended up kind of passing like ten thousand subscribers on youtube just from those kind of black magic videos and so i i always felt like i had a knack for youtube but it was that moment where i was like okay this is like i love this uh i feel like this is kind of everything that i've been training for everything i've been doing my whole life has led to this moment where i have the skill of performing of editing of shooting shooting weddings for 10 years you have to be fast you have to be quick the same day edits we would even do like same day uh cinematic edits during the reception and then we'd show that at the reception um so the those skills that i learned there applied perfectly to this and uh i just feel like with youtube it's just been a kind of a dream come true uh because i'm able to talk about the things i care about which is cameras i can make it however i want i can make it as funny and stupid as i want and if people don't like it they don't watch it if they like it they subscribe and uh it's amazing uh that's basically how it all happened on YouTube, but yeah. Yeah. I remember actually the
1: reason why I first got hooked up with uh, Rockwell from polar pro was because, um, I, uh, i had always wanted like a drone, but I'd never, I was like, I have no, I have no use for one. I'm not going to buy one. And then, uh, DJI, um, announced the spark, which at the time I was like, this is a really like low barrier to entry. You know, it's like $400 or something. I'm going to pre-order one. So I pre-ordered it, and for some reason, I don't know why, but mine came two days before, like, the actual release. Like, I got oh, it wow. in the mail, and, like, I was <laughs> shocked. So I made an unboxing video that day, and immediately, just like you said, it was just, like, everybody wanted to see that video. And then yep. the next day, again, before the Spark was even released, I made, like, a max distance test or whatever. And that video is still, like, both those videos are number one to this day if you oh, look wow. for either of those things. And, um, like... Amazing like you said, it, it's so weird. It's like you don't expect something like that to happen, but then you can really see yeah. the power of, uh, of of posting content on YouTube, which is really exciting.
0: But- Absolutely, and the, there's a there's actually a secret sauce to our success with the Black Magic one too that Tell I forgot me. to mention. We were consistently putting out two videos a week for three months prior to the Black Magic uh, viral video, and so a lot of people can maybe even. There was actually two or three other people that posted a Black Magic video um, around the same time we posted it. They were they were in the cafeteria with mm-hmm. me editing at the same time. You must see each other like racing. Yeah, <laughs> um, but they were uh, traditional news sites like Cinema Five D, News Shooter, stuff like that, um, and they don't really post on YouTube regularly. They're they're not a part of that YouTube algorithm mm-hmm. the way that we were. And even though their video went live, even though they had that blog post or whatever. Um, because we had that kind of, uh, track record from YouTube's perspective of this is a, this is literally a consistent, uh, creator. They're pumping stuff out let's serve this to as many people as possible somebody clicks it someone else clicks it someone else clicks it now youtube's like okay people like this i'm going to start suggesting this to everybody and then people just go on youtube.com and boom right on the home page there's our video for anybody at all interested in video stuff wow check out the black magic camera so because we were fed into that algorithm if you will it went viral so a lot of people might think if you have a topic like what you're talking about you you somewhat went viral with your map, uh, with your, uh, drone stuff because yeah. it was top topical. I'd I had never talked about drones ever before, but I <laughs> you know? I bet if you were consistently just doing that These over and over, episodes, yeah. yeah, it would just continue to grow and grow. So, yeah. uh, that's definitely a huge thing that I tell people is, uh, don't give up. You might have a great video idea. You post it. It's a really well made video, but because you don't have that audience, cause you don't have that, uh, Snowball effect of a lot of work under your belt. Even though that video is amazing and a lot of people like it, it might not have the uh, velocity that you want because you just don't have any velocity. You haven't started, so you have to just be consistent. Yeah, for sure. Well, I feel like we got a little bit off topic when it comes to <laughs> we We're talking that's a lot
1: it. about algorithms, and uh,
0: that's uh, definitely uh, me, man. I, you're gonna have to rain me in for I sure. I excited. I had a good time. I had a good time for sure.
1: Hey, Raymond here, and we will get back to the show in just a moment. Let me ask you, were you happy with your photos when you were just taking snapshots with your phone or a and shoot camera? Of course not. You wanted to unleash your creativity and capture the world with your unique vision. That's why you bought a, uh, you know, a DSLR. My free ebook, 46 free creative photography ideas is built on that premise of taking ordinary ideas and using your creativity to make something uniquely your own. That ability to think outside of the box is what makes world-class photographers so successful it's not their camera gear or their fancy lenses but it's their ability to come up with a creative idea and execute so download your free copy of 46 creative photo ideas now by heading over to creativeimageideas.com that is creativeimageideas.com now let's go ahead and get back on into today's interview uh, but but back to um, more of the gear stuff. I, I was I was trying to think about this, and I think um, reviewing gear seems like you know like a dream job for anybody. Like you get new gear, and you're like yeah. that feeling of opening it up and like pulling it out of the box. Like it's all very exciting stuff. But then you're kind of faced with that question of like, well, what do I talk about? In, <laughs> you know, in this video, and because when it comes to gear, there's a lot. You know, to know. I mean, just just lenses alone. There's, um, uh, you know, maximum aperture, lens construction, how many aperture blades, uh, how many groups of glass, and how many elements. The coating yeah. on the lens, uh, the focusing motors, minimum focusing distance, chromatic uh, like MTF charts, zoom prime. All these things go into making the lens. I want to know wh- how do you break down exactly like what's important and what do you need to talk about when reviewing gear.
0: That's a great question. I don't know. Uh,
1: (laughs) You've been doing it long uh, enough. You have to have some sort of insight (laughs) to this. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step and the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We've... You know, I've done hundreds of these things now, and uh, it's always a different camera. And it is – I feel like when I first started out, everything was new. I was trying everything uh, for the first time and experiencing things kind of for the first time. But now that I've been doing it for about two, almost three years now, it's like – it is a cycle of like okay the next line of uh canon m50 is coming out or whatever it's essentially the exact same and it does the same thing as before except this time it's better so um i kind of still have to go in with that perspective of there's two different types of people watching this video potentially there's a a total beginner who literally doesn't have any uh history on that camera they're purely there to research the tool before they consider purchasing it and they just want to know what's the you know what's the image look like what you know how is the thing handle you know is it good at autofocus can it do good video But then there's the other side of of people who maybe have the generation before or two generations back and they're considering maybe upgrading or maybe they have a a cheaper body and I'm reviewing a more expensive body and they want to upgrade to a kind of higher-end thing. Or maybe they're on a Sony and they are looking at my USR video considering switching from Sony to Canon or whatever. Um, So there's just a lot of people I have to kind of keep in mind. And often when I make a review, I will essentially Write down who this video is for Um, Often if it's a kind of a cheaper product. So this is a perfect example two weeks ago I posted two videos in one day one video was the Osmo mobile 3 review and the other video was the black magic pocket cinema camera 6k first look review Uh, Those two products couldn't be like further from each other in terms of in terms of audience um, but both of them have similar views actually the pocket 6k has more views than the Osmo mobile Mostly because products like the Osmo mobile get just talked about to death by every youtuber in the world um, including the I teens and the iPhone dues and the people who have millions of subscribers um, but With the Osmo Mobile, I made that review exactly for the people who I know are going to be buying it. It's people who uh, just want to step up from their iPhone uh, videography. They want to have something a little bit more professional, but they may not even know how to shoot on a DSLR at all. And so I kind of talk about it with that in mind at that level and I try to make it as entertaining as possible um, because hopefully that's what I can kind of add to the mix of other youtubers is just my own personality and my own entertaining uh, qualities in terms of my editing and stuff like that so for that I'm just pretty straightforward like it does this this and this Um, if you've never used a gimbal before a gimbal does this you know like just pretty much basic but then with a 6k I know that literally anybody who's searching for 6K footage knows exactly what the 6K is. Yes. and they, they know exactly what it does. They probably already know all the specs of it. So they literally only want to watch footage. They want to see how does it look because I have it. They don't. They're thinking about buying it and they want to see what it looks like. So for that video, I literally was like, all right, I got it. All right, I'm just going to film video. So here we go. And then I just play a bunch of clips that I film. And then I kind of like give my thoughts. I didn't even really go into the specs like it does 6k at this resolution of raw and blah 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 and there are people who do that I think I'm too ADHD to do the (laughs) list of specs right um and I don't find I feel like there's a lot of other creators who can do that essentially what that does uh is essentially just reading for the viewer people who don't want to read uh they watch videos and people read for them uh i'm not really interested in reading for other people so i'm more interested in just giving you what you want to see here's a bunch of footage and then here's my thoughts uh with the perspective of i used to shoot on black magic cameras i used to be a cinematographer and a director so i understand the need for this product here's my thoughts on it you know um so that's how i look at it i I think about the the product the price point can kind of tell me exactly who the product is for and then i kind of tailor the review around the audience that may be interested in that product smart smart yeah that's, that's
1: that's that's one of those things that's hard to to differentiate you know a lot of times here on the beginner photography podcast there's a lot of times where i get excited about a new technique and tutorial that like or yeah technique or tip but i know that maybe it's not right for the audience at this point so like i'll just kind of explore that on my own but then something yeah. else where maybe is is i don't want to say under me but something that like i've done plenty of times before is something that the audience really wants to know a lot about so yeah. i'll talk about that so but that make that's another smart. show uh, no, 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 no. I, I, uh, no, I don't have the time for that. I don't wanna, I, uh, I don't wanna deal with any of that. I'm enjoying the beginner photography podcast <laughs> right now.
0: <laughs> do it. You could do an intermediate photography, <laughs> and then a, and then a pro photography. Yeah, <laughs> Jeez, all a, three. yeah. yeah. Oh no, I, uh, I, get, I totally get what you're saying. And uh, when for me, uh, it's important for me to get out those feelings that you're referring to of like, I, I have this new thing. A lot of people might not have the perspective I have because they just don't have the experience. Mm -hmm. but i just want to say this i want to get it out and that'll be its own video like the camera that i'm holding right now if you're listening to the podcast i'm holding the canon m50 which has been out now for a little over a year it's been kind of my go-to recommendation for beginners but it kind of has a little trick up its sleeve it does a really good high quality 4k on this camera but you lose the autofocus so you have to Mm -hmm. be able to know how to shoot manual focus yeah it's stupid you have to shoot manual focus um also one really cool thing is you can buy a speed booster for the M mount to EF mount and have full autofocus. So if you buy a speed booster with the M50, you can actually shoot full frame in air quotes uh, because it's a speed booster, but you can effectively shoot a full frame image for photo and for 1080p video. The 4K does a a severe crop um, when you don't have the speed booster, but when you put the speed booster on with the 4K crop, it becomes a Super 35 crop, which is totally normal. So you throw a a Sigma 18-35 to f1.8 on the speed booster on the M50 shooting 4K, you lose the auto focus, but there is focus peaking built into this camera, and now I have a really high quality professional, uh, you know, video camera. So I made a whole video about this. It's very in depth. It's very, you know, I don't even try to like dumb it down. It's literally what I just told you. I was going to say just based on that, like 30 (laughs) seconds, that was very in depth right there. (laughs) So, uh, but that video performed really well, but, but I did a whole another review about the M50 with the kit lens. And I, I I went into it saying, I'm going to make this review for my mom. Like I'm gonna literally <laughs> Dumb explain. It down. Yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm explain the M50 for my mom, and that video did really well as, as well. That one actually has more views than the other one, as you would guess, because the the net of you know, or the it's just a more vast audience is the beginner uh, audience. Sure. Of course. Um, But I had to get that out. That was information about the speed booster and the crop and the 4K. I want to talk about that because it's fascinating to me. This camera only cost $600 and the quality can get that good. So um, I made a video about that and and that performed well and I'm I personally am more proud of of those pieces Uh, and I get uh, comments from people that I respect who saw those videos who say man that was awesome that was really helpful to me I appreciate that and you know that's that's more fulfilling to me than the one I made for my mom but the one I made for my mom uh, ma- made me more money because it got more views. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I still I think
1: the point is there about that whole concept, right? If you if you bring it down so that anybody can understand, it makes it, uh, um, it makes it more easily consumable for people. And and I really yeah. like that idea. I really like that idea. I like that, I might, I might have to steal that from you. But explain <laughs> it to me like I'm explaining it to my mom. Awesome.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, well, f- no offense to moms out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially uh, yeah. professional photography moms. Yeah, They're yeah, like, exactly. yeah. hey, <laughs> hey, what about? <have> I- <laughs> <laughs> <Well, laughs> I'm talking about my mom who's never picked up. You know, like doesn't use a camera. She oh, doesn't same, yeah. understand it. That's yeah. the, the the context
1: of my mom. <laughs> I uh, my mom I think would never have bought a camera if it wasn't for me. And then oh, cool. <laughs> even like for the longest time, she only had like a, it was like a 3.2 megapixel camera that she bought nice. back in 2008. Oh, wow. I think. No, no, 2006 and wow. then uh, the only reason why she got another camera was simply
0: because she got an iPhone and like <laughs> that was <it>. and now <laughs> that is her camera forever so the iPhone uh, is amazing it's so it's gotten so good I can't yeah. wait for next week the iPhone 11 is coming out we'll so. see what happens we'll see what happens see. but uh, speaking of kind of
1: phones They have small sensors inside. That was a terrible segue. Uh, I got a question (laughs) from Michael in the group, and this is a question that I'm excited about because it gets talked about to death. But from somebody who has the experience, I want – I just want to hear your opinion. Michael asked – Actually, he wants to hear your opinion. <laughs> he wants to know <laughs> your opinion on crop versus full-frame sensors. Okay. He said, I almost feel like it's debated too much, but it would be good to get the opinion of somebody who gets kind of paid to give opinions. Sure.
0: Yeah, so um, I've got two cameras here. Uh, if you're not watching the video, this is the GH5 I'm holding in my hand. This is a Micro Four Thirds sensor. Um, which is considered, uh, you know, a, a pretty small Wait, sensor. wasn't that
1: the wrong uh, body cap on that? Is the, <laughs>
0: the
1: Olympus on there? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Just just want to make sure I got kind of confused uh, for a second. Okay.
0: Uh, so Olympus and Panasonic did create the Micro Four Thirds system together. So uh, I'm not killing it too I bad there. Know that. But, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, it's an open standard. But uh, yeah, so Micro Four Thirds. And then <laughs> Hasselblad was kind enough to let me borrow this. For a review, this is a medium format sensor. Nice if you're not, if you're not watching the video. Go check out the video right now because like you can see. Like the size of a saltine cracker compared to like a, like a thumbnail. So there you go. In the video image right now, you can see the comparison of a micro four thirds image I'm gonna take compared to this and post it in the group. There you go. To- Perfect. <laughs> so that's kind of the two extremes. And to be completely honest, uh. I think both of them can make you a full time living as a photographer or a filmmaker. Uh, One one actually is better for videographers and it's cheaper and it has a smaller sensor the GH5 The GH5 is a much better tool for video people than the Hasselblad. The Hasselblad does have a video mode, but it's terrible I do not recommend it. It's awful (laughs) Uh, But for stills it definitely is uh, Very powerful, but the GH5 has better autofocus. It's uh, you know, so there's pros and cons now to answer his his, uh, You know to answer his question directly does it matter? Uh, yeah, it, it matters, but does it affect the end result when the photographer knows what they're doing? Uh, not not really. I don't know. It's kind of a question. It matters because uh, each tool does a different thing, and if that thing that you need matters to you, then of course it matters. I personally think that a full-frame camera Creates with a good lens. Now that's the that's kind of the secret sauce. A full-frame camera with a good lens creates better-looking images, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people can agree with that. Um, I think APS-C, which is what the M50 is here. Mm-hmm. If you have a fast lens like the Sigma 18 to 35 f 1.8 lens on an APS-C, you can get pretty close to what a full-frame image can look like. Um, but on a GH5, I've I've had a lot of. Uh, struggle to get good image picture quality that i'm happy with in terms of noise in terms of bokeh even with a fast lens even like an f1.4 lens it's doing if you do the math this is really technical but it's performing as if it were a 2.8 lens on a full frame body so it's really hard to get that that kind of f1.4 on a full frame look on anything other than a full frame and if we're talking about Boca, man, this medium format sensor oh from Hasselblad, yeah. this is larger than full frame. Uh, this actually is not a full medium format in the way that old film cameras were. It's actually, they're kind of, they're calling it large format. They don't want us to say medium they, format. They call it large format? Yeah. Um, I don't know why, but I think it's because it's technically not a, uh, a true medium format size, but it's definitely bigger than uh, full frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so this can create the most amazing images, uh, you know, that honestly that I've ever taken. It's a 50 megapixel sensor. It's uh, super sharp, super amazing. And the pros and cons really come with uh, dynamic range, with sharpness, uh, you know, low light performance. Uh, if, if you need low light, having a larger sensor helps. Uh, if you if you shoot video, sensor size doesn't matter as much. Um, because if you just look at any movie, Seriously, look at any movie and pause it at a scene that looks pleasing to you i guarantee you that uh, you can see the background it's probably not blurred out uh right. in in most cases uh super super shallow depth of field is not used in cinema very often uh typically cinematographers shoot at f5.6 or f8 often um because it's so hard to keep everybody in focus when they're moving around um and that's changing as technology is advancing with autofocus um, and things like that, but even even with that, creatively, um, it's not used as often. So uh, shooting on a GH5 with an f2.8 lens is totally fine for, for video. Um, so does it matter, yes and no, overall, no, it doesn't matter because uh, if you take a gh5 with the kit lens and give it to uh jeremy cowart you know an amazing photographer He's in nashville know do. he'll know exactly what to do with it um but you give uh somebody who's never used a camera before my mom a Hasselblad <laughs> you know every shot's gonna be blurry you know um no offense to my mom i hope she doesn't <laughs> get offended by that because she does actually have a t3i and she does know how to use that so okay there you uh, go but uh um yeah i think the debate i agree with him i think the debate can get kind of overblown um I personally am actually shooting all of my YouTube videos on the Olympus EM-1 Mark II right now uh, because it does all the things that I want. It has a flip screen, does 4K, has IBIS. The autofocus through this new update that they just did is phenomenal. The autofocus tracks on my face and um, it's the GH5 doesn't have very good autofocus for video at all. Um, so the Olympus gives me everything I want and I just got the new Panasonic 10-25 to one7 lens wow. which is amazing. So that on a micro thirds camera is kind of the perfect combination 10 millimeters is like a 20 millimeter Mm -hmm. equivalent so it's Nice and wide for the selfie shots that I do with YouTube stuff. Yeah. Um, so for me, that tool is much better than uh, the Hasselblad because there's no flip screen on here. So right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> I know it's kind of uh, upsetting having to uh, record some videos
1: like for the uh, for the podcast every once in a while. I had a Canon 70D for a long time, and I only used it. I shoot weddings with a Fuji, uh, nice. but I uh, I had the Canon 70D because it had the flip screen and because it had autofocus, so it made yeah. sense for recording videos. Well, one day my uh, daughter was here in my office and there's uh, this little desk behind me and it's kind of shorter. And she came over and like grabbed it and it uh, uh, fell over. And then oh, now the microphone port does not work on the 70D. So I had to, I had to upgrade. I was like, well, what am I going to do? This is kind you of like the last. In. No, I was like, this is the last like thing that I'm holding on to Canon for. Like, I don't even <laughs> okay. want. I don't want to do this anymore. So I bought the Fuji XT3 because it has a flip screen, and I got all excited. tilty screen, it flips every direction except for <laughs> from play, front face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: I was looking for um my mirror. I have, I don't have it over here. It's in the garage. But there's this product. Um, that I have it's this really handy tool it's actually a little thing that goes on the hot shoe mm-hmm. and it's designed uh, really well it's got uh an offset hot shoe so you could put a microphone on it but then it's got like a little uh really rigid um it's made of like metal mirror on it and when you flip your screen out yeah. on your fuji it gets it in a perfect angle to where (laughs) when you're looking at the mirror you can see everything and it's super sharp it's super bright because it's just taking whatever the brightness is of your screen and just reflecting it so even when you're outdoors i can see it perfectly fine so uh, that uh, product has actually changed my opinion on all cameras now because essentially every camera can be used if you use that There are two ways
1: to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow, easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at DeliverPhotos.com. And as a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. I wish we would have known that. I uh, uh, I spent like two hundred fifty dollars on a like a five inch uh, external <laughs> monitor. And well, I still think
0: there's a mess. there's a need for that yeah, be Sure. It, not for me it's though. Bigger, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just want I don't want batteries. I don't want wires. I don't want any exactly. of that stuff. Exactly,
1: so many wires all over the place. I'll- Let me see. Um, I'll send you a link to it. For sure. I can't wait to see that. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. And hopefully it's been less than 30 days since I bought that uh, monitor from Amazon because I will return <laughs> it. I have no other need for it for that. But That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so that kind of brings me to my follow-up question then. Um, having... Yeah. Um, you obviously shoot your videos, you know, on this Micro Four Thirds camera. Uh, yeah. There still is these, you know, forty thousand dollars Hasselblads, expensive cameras. <laughs> so, I think when you when you decide uh, to go full time with your photography, it's just kind of like assumed that you're going to go full frame, right? Um, yeah. But oftentimes, you know, these cameras can be five or even you know, ten times the price in the case
0: of like the One DX series. And oh, the lenses you can get at Costco you know and so, the lenses become huge too when you go yes. full frame so the heavy. lenses are big and heavy yeah so, so
1: what's the difference between that $500 camera and a $5,000 yeah. camera and then follow up who needs the $5,000 camera
0: yeah, sure. So, I'll just preface this with um, referencing my uh, my podcast, Golden Hour. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of um, photographers who do really amazing landscape photography and uh, travel photography on Instagram. They've you know gathered hundreds of thousands of followers. Some of these people I interviewed have a million followers. Yes. Um, so Matt Como, Garrett King, um, Gabs. McCart- scanu chris card uh P- uh let's see who else um sam seadar these are all people i just listed they all told me that they started on the cropped body sony the a6000 mm-hmm. that camera actually thankfully sony just updated that i think it's the a6100 i think it's 65 um, 6500 no the a6100 just came out like two days ago oh okay <laughs> yeah, Sony has uh, the weirdest naming conventions. Yeah, so the A6000 uh, is still available. It's $500 with a kit lens, I think. Yeah, and that camera is a great place to start. Uh, And a lot of people that I interviewed, like I mentioned, actually literally started on that with the kit lens. Yeah, so the A6100 is the update to the 6000, which is going to be kind of their new entry level uh, crop body. And then they just came out with the A6600, which is replacing the 6500. I'm so which, lost already like they seem yeah. like they should have they should be in the same product anyway It's this it's mult. there's multiple cameras in that same line now So you've got the a6000 the 6100 the 6300 the 6400 <laughs> the 6500 and the 6600 yeah. for all of your photography needs <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so every single one has a different need, um, but I would highly recommend this new one the 6100 it's an update to the 6000 um, but to answer your question what do you get when you spend that extra coin on the full frame? Um, well, there is, it's hard to kind of quantify the difference between a micro four thirds or an APSC to a full frame or obviously the Hasselblad. There is a feel to it. It's hard to explain, but uh, the, basically what, what you're seeing when you look at it, when you feel that kind of. 3d effect it's because the the sensor is larger so it's just gathering more light it's putting you in the scene more it's uh, Often because it's a larger sensor the everything's just cleaner sharper crisper um, and the lenses get kind of most of the attention of the manufacturer because the people who are buying full-frame glass are using full-frame bodies, so They're really high quality often professionals only shoot on full frame So when you look at like for example Canon they have this M50 Part of the reason why this camera isn't very good for professionals is because their lens lineup is terrible There's like five lenses for this system and they're and they're all uh, prosumer They're really plasticky really cheap. The optics are definitely not Uh, very good. And when you step up to full frame, that's where you get lenses like the G Master lenses from uh, Sony or the L series lenses from Canon or the gold ring lenses from Nikon. They spend millions of dollars investing on the technology and the coding of these lenses. So part of the reason why going to full frame is so good is because the lens ecosystem is so good. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you have the Fuji camera. And one of my favorite things about the Fuji camera is the APS-C uh, sensor is, a, is still pretty big. I mean, it's bigger than a Micro Four Thirds. And because Fuji only makes lenses for that mount, for that sensor size, they have a ton of really quality lenses, mm-hmm. but, they're, but they're crop lenses. Um, nobody really has like... Top notch crop lens lenses. Right, uh, right. Because they're always so focused on the full frame glass. So if you buy a crop lens camera like the 70D, the best 35 millimeter lens you can get is a 24 millimeter L series lens f1.4 because that becomes a 35. With that crop, and you're using a full frame lens, so you're not using its full potential. But you can um, pay for that full potential. But you, but you have to pay for it, yeah. and you have to pay for it in price and in size and weight. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about the Fuji system to me is the fact that because those lenses are only designed for that crop mount, they can be small and light and super high quality. Uh, for that sensor size so uh and fuji is actually really unique if you think about it because they're kind of the only ones that are just like solely focused on aps-c which is pretty cool and sony has format Ooh, i got the yeah. i got to
1: hold the the, the <laughs> 50r and i thought about selling everything and coming home and having a fight with my <laughs> wife about uh purchasing a new camera but it uh yeah. I, I ended up not doing it
0: but, the 50R feels like you're holding a VHS tape oh in your my hand. Oh gosh, it's it's, it's so chunky. It's so I great, but it, it has it. the same sensor as the Hasselblad, actually. It's so um, weird that they call that large format, because in film, that
1: would be a four-inch by five-inch sensor, so that's... that's yeah, yeah, strange.
0: exactly. Yeah, large. Uh, we interviewed a guy named um, uh, Ben Horn, and yes. he does large-format photography uh, film. I was going to mention that interview that you had
1: with him. It was... Fantastic. It was so much fun to listen to.
0: Have you ever watched any of his videos?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Man, he just I would goes I recommend off. anybody
0: to watch his stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he just he just goes off into the wilderness. And <laughs> takes I like four amazing. photos in you know, 3 weeks and then comes back and like, well, this is what I got.
0: <laughs> One thing that so if anybody's listening that doesn't understand the context, Ben Horn is a guy that I interviewed on the podcast that I have Golden Hour and he's a large format photographer. He goes out by himself into the wilderness, literally by himself with this giant uh, like old-fashioned photography camera. It looks like something you'd see from like the 1800s, 1900s. It's got like this kind of uh, accordion, accordion kind of thing. And he like literally puts like a sheet over it and everything like it's on a tripod. Um, But the thing that you guys missed if you listen to the podcast that I was fortunate enough to experience is he brought some prints to the studio. I got to see them up close on a light box and he gave me like those little magnifying uh, things, a little loop. Yeah, Yeah. you put on your eyeball and you like look at it and you could see all the detail of like every leaf and every blade of grass that large format just captures so much detail so much richness um and yeah it's it's kind of a lost art and i hope that it continues to continue on because ben is doing incredible stuff with it
1: yeah yeah i think with his education it definitely gets people really excited for it so okay back back to the 500 to five thousand dollar (laughs) camera see we we rabbit trail man i know i'm I'm looking at my list of questions here we're not getting to more than half of uh so the follow-up question is who is it that needs that five thousand dollar camera then how do you how do you make that decision how do you know if
0: that's you well I definitely the uh this the, the uh, argumentative in me would say that nobody needs it uh <laughs> because you could just use your iphone if you're good you know um so let's just say that flat out that like nobody actually needs that camera because again the uh five hundred dollar m50 or the a6000 can still be used in the hands of a great artist and create good art. So nobody needs it. But who actually could benefit from it? Um, I would say a wedding photographer, especially... Could benefit from some of these expensive cameras Um, you want to have reliable autofocus when you're shooting events you want to have good low light because you're shooting uh, often in the dark uh, at a reception Um, you want to have good flash sync you want to be able to burst off images quickly if you if you want to do a burst uh, with autofocus tracking Um, some of these new cameras have eye autofocus now, which, um, whenever you're focusing on a face, the eyeball is really, if that's out of focus, like say if you focus on somebody's nose, uh, and their eye is out of focus, it just looks weird. Yeah. Um, so the eye is actually where photographers should be focusing on people's faces, and a lot of these new cameras from Sony and even the new RF, uh, you know, the USR, and the Nikon Z6, they all do this eye tracking, which is fabulous, uh, so you don't have to think about it, just automatically clicks in to, to focus there. Um, $5,000? I don't I don't really think anybody needs to spend that much uh, on a camera body these days. The A7 or the A7 III is a fabulous camera from Sony that costs 2 grand. The Nikon Z6 is an amazing mirrorless camera with IBIS, eye tracking, everything from Nikon. It's under $2,000. The EOS R is essentially a 5D Mark IV in a mirrorless body. That's coming in around $2,000 as well. So, the cameras have gotten I mean it's still a lot of money. Don't sure. get me wrong but um you're going to want to spend that extra 3 grand if you if you have 5 grand you're going to want to spend the extra 3 grand on lenses that might be counterintuitive for people to think i'm going to spend more money on a lens than my body but absolutely i would rather shoot on a really cheap 100 dollar camera and use a 3000 dollar lens any day r- rather than the other way around yeah
1: and that $3,000 lens is probably still going to be $3,000 next year as opposed exactly. to a $2,000 camera that uh, might be 200 bucks next year. You <laughs> never know. You never know. Exactly. It's just a heavy paperweight. So um, is there is there maybe a piece of gear that uh, within your time in, in videography and accumulating gear and, and seeing it, has there ever been a piece of gear that you thought that you just had to have and then you got it and then you just never use it? <laughs> Because I do this all the time, so I'm always excited to hear from other photographers.
0: Yeah, um, here's here it
1: is. <laughs> so, well, so, you can just ship
0: that my my direction over here. So the, I'm holding the uh, the Leica Q. Oh my gosh! I lusted after this camera forever. Have you lusted after this camera? I'm currently doing it. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so this camera is uh made by Leica, which already is a lustworthy company. Uh just like House of Blood. They make jewelry, not cameras. Like this is this is like a a Porsche or a, a Ferrari or a Rolls-Royce yeah. or a uh you know. So, uh this is a mirrorless camera made by Leica. It's got a 28 millimeter um Sumo lux built into it. Um so it's an f1.4 28 millimeter lens on a full frame mirrorless body. Uh, this is an amazing camera. It takes amazing images, but, uh, once I got it, I took a bunch of Instagram pictures with it and then I just never use it cause <laughs> it's so slow. It doesn't, you know, the autofocus is not reliable. There's no IBIS. There's no stabilization in the lens. The way that I shoot has basically been tailored, uh, to what the current technology is doing because I'm shooting on such fast cameras now, like the EOS R, the Nikon Z6, um, even my Olympus E-M1 Mark II, even though it's micro four thirds is really fast and really powerful for photography. Um, There's no joystick, so I can't like select my focus point. This is really like, uh, if you, if you love Leica and you love shooting the way Leica shooters shoot, which is very meticulous, very manual, um, this is a great option. Uh, if you're a Leica fan, if you're like a Leica shooter, this is a great camera, but I need to probably sell this on eBay cause it's really just sitting in my bag and I've been using it as like a product that I take pictures with on Instagram. Like I'll hold it and like take a beautiful picture of it because it, it's gear lust, of but, course. uh, but
1: yeah. That's kind of the main thing. Um, well, if you ever have a fire sale, you know, I mean, like has really gone downhill over the past few years. You might get two hundred bucks out of it, and uh, if you're <laughs> if you're thinking about it, I could send you that two hundred dollars and take that off. Okay, your hand. but well, Sounds good. yeah, we'll we'll talk after <laughs> this. We'll talk after this. That's also funny. I,
0: you know, I don't, I don't want to say this uh, because Hasselblad was kind enough to let me borrow this, but. If I actually spent $5,000 on this camera, it would I would be very disappointed. <laughs> I bet. The, I'm holding the X1D Mark II right now. Uh, it's a beautiful camera. It looks very pretty. It's a well-made uh, piece of equipment. Uh, the lenses, the optics are amazing. But the autofocus on here is total garbage like it does not work at all and the only reason that this really sucks is because the fuji camera the gfx 50r and the 50s they exist they're they're real and they use the same kind of concept, mm-hmm. uh, but the autofocus works, and there's a, f- a flip-out screen, and um, you c- it's a mechanical shutter instead of a leaf shutter, so you can adapt vintage lenses and not have crazy jello with the uh, electronic. I don't know. I
1: kind of like the leaf shutter. I like the, I like the idea of the leaf shutter. I'm, I'm well, in the of it.
0: But I can't put like I I can't put a uh, like a contacts lens on here. Sure, but... You could use a flash up
1: to, like, what, 1 8000th of a second, which is pretty awesome. With... Expensive Hasselblad lenses, yes. Yeah, well, sure. yeah. well, yeah, you know, I uh, I spoke with uh, uh, Gf Williams a few weeks ago, who is a uh, automotive photographer, shoots oh. for like Porsche and and like high end brands, Lamborghini, and um, I, I, I bet asked he loves him, this. That's exactly what I asked him about, and I said, you know, do you need that camera that costs you know half as much as my house or whatever? Um, and he said that for him in his industry, he has booked jobs purely because of that. It's almost. But he says that it's not because so much of the image quality; it's more of a status symbol to say that, like, I'm professional. This is
0: what I do. Here yeah. it is. Um, and I thought that that was a really interesting take a take. point. You know, really. Interesting that's a step. dying. Uh, that, that's that's got to be dead in ten years. Of that whole concept. I mean, what automotive photography? No, uh, the the gear
1: is oh, what right.
0: books you jobs. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think I think we'll see. I'm. It, it's already starting to it. die because. Uh, You know, back in the old days, you know, you had to go to film school just to pick up a cinema camera at all Mm -hmm. Uh, Now you can buy a 6k cinema camera for $2,500 with a new black magic. Yeah, Uh, so um you know in terms of gear i mean it happens all the time with cinematographers though it's like you get hired because you own a red or you own an ari alexa uh so you know i don't know it'll probably still be around on the high end but in terms of like wedding photography i've definitely had friends that can't afford a photographer and they're like yeah my my aunt has a you know a dslr she's gonna shoot them it's like yeah oh, okay yeah okay get ready for crap pictures yeah. But yeah um, it's funny that you said that. When I was uh, when I was in
1: film school in 2007, that was the thing. People who like I had there were students in my class who would go by the red because that almost ensured that they were going to have a job once they got out. And Interesting. Of course, the the week that we graduated, all the actors went on strike, <laughs> and then immediately after, all the writers went on strike. Or maybe it was the other way around. But regardless, uh, yeah, none of those people. We're working and they all had to sell that camera so yeah i guess not, in 2007
0: too that was literally the year before the 5d mark ii came out yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah it was rough it was rough it was rough so okay um I want to get into some uh, lightning round type questions. So we got uh, – I, I reached out to the beautiful people of the Beginner Photography Podcast Facebook group to ask them what questions they had about gear. I got hi, some questions. Hi,
0: you guys are still on Facebook? Hi.
1: Yeah, I deleted that two years ago. Okay. It's, every, everybody else is already there. We're, we're already there. We're having a good time. What's um, up, Facebook crew? Yeah. <laughs> now you're back in it because you got to come back in for yeah, the Yeah, uh, You're group. being tracked by Russian hackers.
0: <laughs> but Hi. <laughs>
1: (laughs) And now you're about to answer their questions, these Russian hackers' questions about uh, (laughs) photography. So are you ready for uh, these lightning round questions? Let's go. Okay, so the first question is from Ed, and he wants to know what is your recommendation for just the best travel camera?
0: Uh, I would do a toss-up between the camera i've been holding uh, and talking about a lot here the canon m50 and uh the the new i guess sony a 100 or the 6000 which is an, another camera that i mentioned on this podcast um both are great for travel photography it seems as though a lot of uh, like i mentioned the guys that i've interviewed owned the 6000 with that kit lens it's roughly 500-600 dollars um there's got to be a reason why they owned it and why they like it uh, has a great image quality to it's super sharp the resolution on it is really great Um, but i personally like the layout of canon better i feel like it's a little bit um, of a easier uh, tool to learn on um I find the Canon's menu structure is much easier to use. I love the articulating screens that they have on it. And I feel like this is a better hybrid camera for people who may want to do video as well. Um because of the flip screen, because we got a nice mic jack here. Um and it does have 4K, like I mentioned earlier, uh with a caveat. But the 1080p is great on this, and the autofocus is incredible. It's got that canon dual pixel autofocus which is just phenomenal so for video no the no uh, it does have it in 1080p oh okay so okay as soon as you switch to I'll give it a pass then as soon as you switch to 4k it loses that dual pixel autofocus um yeah and you know again I'm going to wrap a trail here but the CEO of like the canon uh you know camera department actually is on record saying that they purposely um handicapped this camera to maintain the sales of the higher end uh, <laughs> cameras. so this camera is capable of doing <laughs> autofocus in 4K but they purposely do it to uh, you know, disable it. So,
1: wow. I lost a little bit of respect for Canon, right? there. that's
0: insane. I have have like no respect for them, honestly, at the end of the day, because they do so many things like that, uh, that are so annoying. I mean, Sony, you got to look at your bottom line, but at the end of the, like Sony has now become the number two, uh, camera sale company. Like they've beat Nikon Nikon now. Um, Um, but Canon is still the number one, uh, manufacturer for, For uh, cameras, interchangeable lenses. Um, And it's by a pretty large margin. So I think they have a little bit of a uh, a pride issue where it's kind of like, well, you know. People are going to buy it anyway. Yeah, people are going to buy it anyway. We don't have to compete with anybody. Yeah, you know, whereas Fuji, your camera, the X T three, like mm. that's so competitive at that price point. The things that that camera can do is extremely competitive uh, and kind of revolutionary, really. And same for the Sony A seven three when that came out, it was two thousand dollars for a full frame mirrorless with IBIS autofocus, dual card slot. Um, so. All these other companies have to really compete to like grow, and that's how they're winning. And honestly, that's how they're probably going to beat Canon at the end of the day, unless Canon changes. So we'll see. But, well, we'll see. M50 and A6000, I would say, are two great options uh, for photographers. And if you want to do that hybrid, I would recommend uh, the M50 for both. Uh, video and photo gotcha awesome okay
1: next question is from jim jim wants to know how many megapixels is just simply too much
0: <laughs> i think the r cameras are way are too much all the r cameras the the was it or the the nikon z7 the um the a7r the s1r the all those cameras that are like 30, 40, 39, 50 megapixels, this Hasselblad, I personally hate it because my computer can't handle it. Like, <laughs> um, I can't cycle through the images. I imported all these 50 megapixel RAWs onto my iPad Pro, which is, you know, iPad Pro is kind of touted as being like a really great tool for editing on the go and because uh, that processor is so good, and it was struggling with these 50 megapixel uh, images, so... I think 24 megapixels is like the sweet spot. I think a full frame 24 megapixel sensor is kind of the perfect size, plenty of resolution. Uh, when you look at billboards and stuff, p- there's always that argument about like, well, it needs to be able to be blown up really I big. Know. It's like even if you need to blow it up really big, like 12 megapixels is good enough. Yeah. Um, you know, film is projected now sometimes in 4K. A lot of people don't realize this, but 4K is literally only eight megapixels. So, um, when you're looking at a movie screen blown up really big, that's eight megapixels. Yeah. So, and that screen uh, is measured in feet, not inches. Yeah. Like feet, like it's big. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, is that right? It might be twelve megapixels. I think. No, eight, I believe eight, it's eight. I believe it's eight. Okay. Six uh, K is. Uh, is 24 megapixels i believe so um anyways i i might be wrong on that but the the moral of the story is megapixels don't matter that much unless you're that type of photographer that's doing crazy portraiture um you have to have the ability to crop and post uh you are doing stuff for the super bowl on a giant megatron billboard thing bus wraps whatever but like if you're that guy like you 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 don't need to hear me say this you know right yeah <laughs> you're not asking yourself it's mm-hmm, <laughs> 10 megapixels I've, enough i have had some friends say that having the a7r has been fun though like shooting a little bit wider than uh, than normal and cropping in post, but that sounds like too much work for me. I like to just shoot it in camera. Right, right, right. It's interesting. Uh, I think when
1: the A7R 3 first came out, I had a, uh, I'm in a group of uh, other photographers on Facebook, and, and two of them bought the camera, and all of them are saying that like they just shoot in the medium image quality yeah. mode because I think it's like 18 megapixels or 20 megapixels, or wh- whatever it is, they're like, that's yeah. more than enough, and it saves me totally. so much time when editing. But uh, there's a video by uh, F stoppers. Where they they got like a used billboard, like an old billboard that they took down or whatever, and they measured the image that was on it, and it was only two megapixels, like on the billboard. I'll uh, I'll post a link to that in the uh, in in the show notes. Billboard, perfect. All right, Jim. I hope that helps. So the next question comes from uh, Tarek, and I hope that I got that right. Uh, Tarek asks, is it okay to use two different camera brands, like you know Canon for your main camera and then Fuji for a second camera?
0: so the question is phrased kind of funny of course it's okay like you're not going to get in trouble I'm not going to punish you for doing that (laughs) Uh, so yes of course it is okay and I've done it a lot and there's ways to um, to help with it the problem that I've had with uh, with mixing cameras for for video of course this is my uh, perspective is as a video person um, I've shot uh, multicam shoots uh, interviews and uh, wedding ceremonies where we've got a GoPro we've got a Sony we've got a Canon and you know and drone. all these, and a drone yeah right so you've got all these different sensors um, And if you're going to relate it back to film, I think every sensor in a camera is almost like a different film stock. So you have a Fuji film and a a Kodak film and whatever. And sure, your white balance is set the same. Uh, You're trying to, you know, use picture profiles that are close. But at the end of the day, every sensor is uh, interpreting the image differently. One might uh, favor skin tones over the other. One might favor the green and the grass. Or um, when you go to 5,600... Calvin on one camera the other camera might be more blue than the other one so um, it's very challenging to try to mix all the cameras I again from the you know I've shot 300 weddings in the last you know 10 years Um, I can just tell you from experience like we eventually just kind of gave up and we just matched all of our cameras because it was so much of a headache in post-production to try to mix and match everything. And I found like, even down to the literal camera, like not even like a full frame and a crop. It's like, you know what? Just buy like five 6300s and just call it a day. Like, (laughs) yeah. And we're going to set it to the exact same picture profile and use similar lenses. Like there's nothing better than having that. And I actually was a, a director of photography for a feature length documentary uh for two two of those movies my dad actually is a director and um anyways that's another story but (laughs) i told him i was like we have to just rent like five c300s because if we shoot on a bunch of like mix and match things we had like a gh5 and a sony and a canon i was like in post-production we're gonna be so mad at ourselves so like we have we have the budget. Let's rent like five C300s. And we did that. And I was just so happy. I was like, when we looked at the footage, when we edited it, everything matched so perfectly, obviously, because it was the exact same camera. Yeah. So um, I personally believe that everybody needs to have a backup of some sort. If you're a professional uh, photographer, it's important to have some sort of backup camera. Uh, that can certainly be a cheaper camera. You know, for you, that could be an XT30 because um, you have the xt3 that's kind of flagship but they do have a cheaper buy that uses the exact same sensor uh and it's a fuji camera so it's gonna interpolate the image uh same as your xt3 it's just got less features than the xt3 so i would recommend doing something like that so like if you're shooting on a canon for example a full frame canon maybe consider you know the cheaper uh, full frame body like the 6d as an alternative or uh if you want to step down to a crop body look at the 80d or whatever um so i would highly recommend staying within your camera brand because it'll just make your life easier but of course it's okay to mix and match and the thing that I wanted to say is if you do want to mix and match one thing to invest in uh, is a color chart um, and learn how to use that I don't really know how to use it uh, <laughs> super well um, but I I was given the X-Rite color chart checker thing mm. uh, by X-Rite and I did a review on that and I got to experiment with um, taking basically a chip that has all these different color skin tones uh, all the ranges of white to black gradient and you use a, a chart Uh, checker thing in your software in Lightroom and it basically corrects the image and pulls it into the correct colors based off of that chip chart so if you're shooting on multiple cameras I would highly recommend getting some sort of uh, white balance checker or a a chip chart like the X-Rite and uh, using that because what that can essentially do is in the raw data of those images kind of correct the colors and get them at least to a proper, uh, you know, look that you can then apply. But even with all that, there's subtle differences between a Sony and a Canon that it's very, very hard to match and it can become really frustrating. Uh, so I think if you have the means to do it, I would highly recommend, um, Staying within the same brand if you if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great answer.
1: Great answer. Okay, the uh, next and last question is from Nomi and I'm really excited uh, to have you answer this one because I'm sure that you're going to do a better job at this than I will. She wants to know, do we still need polarizer and ND filters? Is there really a visual difference between using them on the camera versus adding them in post?
0: Yeah, so I obviously work for a company Uh, that makes filters so take what i say uh with a grain of salt because obviously i'm uh a fan of the products (laughs) um so we we make a lot of different filters uh the the most popular right now is the new peter mckinnon signature edition the uh variable nd filter um and it comes back to what I was talking about earlier in the podcast with, uh, shutter speed for video people, especially having indie is kind of essential. Like I literally use it on a daily basis. Um, this is not something you can do in post at all as a video shooter. It's something you have to use, uh, in the field. I have to keep my shutter at, uh, 180 degrees, which means it's locked at one 100- 148th of a second, which means if I'm shooting in California sun wide open at F1.4, I have to put an <laughs> ND filter on like, there's literally no option um so obviously for videographers it is essential and extremely uh, crucial and that's where the vnd comes in because it's much more uh practical now there are some limitations with a vnd that uh come with the fact that it it's essentially two polarizers put together so there's some polarization that happens and if that's not something that you're wanting uh and you just want nd then using a straight nd uh is a better option um because polarization can change the colors in your image, can remove reflections in your skin tones, making your skin look kind of pasty. Um, so I tend to use straight in D when I'm taking images of people. Uh, but when I'm doing a landscape shot, I'll use the V and D uh, and, you know, it looks really vivid and nice. Um, using a polarizer, I think is, uh, kind of the, the thing that photographers can maybe look at, uh, if they don't, see a need for indie because you do have the benefit of cranking your shutter up um to change your exposure um a polarizer when you learn to use a polarizer uh it can become a really valuable tool especially for landscape photographers um because what it does is it takes the kind of light coming at you from the reflection of the sun say you're doing an image of the beach um you look at the water and uh, you're in Hawaii and the water's clear and you know there's coral reef down there but you can't see it because the sun is being reflected on the water. Well, when you put that polarizer on it, what it's doing is essentially kind of m- mixing and matching the light and bouncing it off so that the the lens that you're looking through is able to actually see through the reflection. It's it's removing the reflection of the water and you can now see the coral reef, you know, through the water, which is really fun and really handy. It also makes the sky much more vivid, more blue. It makes the green more the grass more green um because when you're looking at the grass in a field you might not realize it but the grass is reflecting the sun at you in these bright white light you know so when you remove that reflection the green becomes more vivid in the grass so it's a very valuable tool for photographers and i would highly recommend every photographer to have a polarizer um because it's it's something you can't you can't just click a button and remove the reflections you know right. in post um, ND uh, again comes in creatively I think as a photographer if you have a first off if you have a camera that can't go very high with the shutter speed which some cameras can't you know this uh, Hasselblad um, because it's a leaf shutters has some limitations and other cameras have limitations in that case then yeah you have to have an ND filter if you go to one two thousandth of a second and that's as far as you can go and you want to shoot wide open and your ISO is all the way down to 100 and your scene is still overexposed. Then what are you gonna do? You have to right. put an ND. You either have to stop down, uh, which is you know practical, or uh, put an ND filter on. Um, but there's also creative uses for shutter speed that you can actually use blur in a creative way, uh, and having an ND filter can help with that. So um, I don't really know a ton about the photography. Uh, implementation can you speak to that about yeah so uh, when you would use an indie
1: the two main purposes uh, that I have found obviously a lot of people use it uh, to, to actually expose for a slower shutter speed so that they can photograph yeah. like you know of a, course a waterfall running water but also one way that I love to use it is um, for like getting clouds moving very rarely oh, do you cool. get the the motion of clouds I like to use an indie filter so that I can have a shutter speed of like two full seconds in bright sunlight and then get those cloud moving but my favorite thing ever which i think is something that has kind of set me apart as a photographer is using my indie filter when i'm using flash photography because with flash photography you're limited to whatever your camera's flash sync speed is so for a lot of cameras it's 1 250th of a second uh like mine uh, but most i think it's even lower like 1 180th of a second so um being able to put on the indie filter uh you can cut out the amount of light and still have an aperture of like you know f2 or f2.8 and uh and still get like a nice creative image and kind of have that blurred background a bit so that is hands down my favorite use to use absolutely uh, the the indie the filter for photography and that's why i'm really excited to to get my hands on the variable ND d filter as well because a lot of times you kind of have to play with you know with your settings a little bit sometimes you really want to shoot at f2 and you can't go above um you know 1 250th of a second and with fuji this is getting way too technical but you can't go below uh, iso 200 so it's already a Uh little bit higher um being able to just change the the power of the ND filter right there would save so much do you have one uh not yet but it's definitely on my list it's on my list did uh
0: I'll tell Rocky to send you one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow! Right on. Sweet. That would be uh, that'd be amazing. I we're I,
0: sold out all the time, so I don't. Oh, really? I can't, I can't confirm that it'll happen anytime soon, but I'll make sure you get one.
1: I would imagine that that is a uh, that, that is something that uh, is just uh, uh, you know uh, invaluable for photographers who are actually looking for something for something like yeah.
0: that. Yeah. So. so the the variable ND is very handy. Uh, basically, it can give you five filters in one it can give you multiple stops and you can just change it by rotating the ring and the one that that we make at polar pro is special because it is so small it's actually the same size as like a normal filter often variable nd filters are because it's two pieces of glass stacked together they're really big and bulky uh, we made sure to make it as thin and light as possible so it literally is the same thickness and size as a normal filter and then the other thing that sets ours apart is it's got hard stops on it uh, one problem with a lot of the VNDs is they have just continuous rotation uh, and what happens when you over rotate the ND filter is it creates like an X pattern on the sides and it gives you this really weird vignette effect really? and so what we did is we put Hard stops on either side of the start and stop of the ND, so that that never ever happens. So you never have that weird X pattern. That is very cool. That's very yeah, cool. yeah. And it's gold. <laughs> Even better.
1: And it has <laughs> Peter McKinnon's uh, seal of approval on it. So that's, of course, you know, it's good. So uh, my last question here for you is, uh, you know, you host the Polar Pro uh, uh, Golden Hour podcast, which I kind of uh, spoke about a little earlier. It's a great listen, And honestly, your interview with Garrett King all about color theory like seriously was one of the best interviews (laughs) and i think that you did such a great job of kind of breaking down uh you know what needs to be known and how i tried to... to discover more
0: I tried to get him to reveal his secrets. He wouldn't do it. I know.
1: I got that. I was like, come on, come on. He was so close. He was so close. He was like, well. Um, but for those who uh, who haven't had a chance to uh, to listen yet, um, you already shared that Polar Pro sells um, um, filters, Indie filters, polarizer filters. Can you kind of uh, share also like how they're helping filmmakers and photographers and then share where we can find the Polar Pro uh, podcast?
0: Yeah, sure. So again, like we mentioned earlier in this podcast, the reason that I moved to California is because I got offered this job to host uh, the Golden Hour Show, uh, which was a huge honor and uh, a big surprise for my wife and I because it was really an amazing uh, opportunity. So um, I, I host the show, and uh, basically, even though it is a, a Polar Pro show, we try not to. You know, this is not a commercial for filters. We do make products that we're very happy about um, and often you know somebody might mention it in the podcast but uh, we're not there to promote the filters we're really there to just serve people um, and, and educate them basically the the kind of idea behind every episode is to dive into the mind of a creator and and try to teach their process to somebody listening who may be inspired by them or maybe if they've never, you've never even heard of the guest hopefully you can just come away with A nugget of information that you can then apply to your own work as a creative. Um, and so we interview YouTubers, Instagrammers, filmmakers, uh, photographers, you know, all those things are kind of the same, but, uh, people are very particular about the way you, uh, you call them, uh, on the, on the podcast. (laughs) But, um, What's been really fascinating for me, and uh, I just recently, like today's episode went live uh, with Gerald Undone. He has a, a great YouTube channel where he goes into really uh, great detail about um, cameras, lenses, uh, and things like that. And his wife uh, actually mentioned to me, she's like, you probably have a great perspective. Uh, and you're probably constantly coming up with new ideas because every week you interview a new creative. So you 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 learn a new you know, skill or something. I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, I have been. My my work has changed ever since I've been doing this because yes. somebody might give me a little nugget of information that I then apply to my work. And um, you know, we we talked about him earlier in the show, but Ben Horn, um, his perspective. Not, I highly recommend anybody listen to Ben's interview because uh, even if you're not interested at all in large format, his kind of philosophy of photography was so inspiring to me. Because he really doesn't do it for anybody but himself. He's really there to experience the world and to experience nature and to respect it. And he'll literally spend all day hiking around and he'll take one picture. I know. (laughs) And like uh, coming from the background that we have with digital, especially for weddings where you're cranking out thousands of pictures. um, Obviously, that's a different situation where you have to document that because you know you can't redo the wedding um but just that philosophy in general i think has really impacted me so hopefully people listen to the podcast uh can be inspired by it and uh can just learn from these great creators that we've had i mean some of these people are just incredibly top-notch people even if their followers are not you know massive uh the the people that we've interviewed have just been real inspiring to me um but we have had some incredible people like chris Card, which was kind of our main like big like celebrity guest that we've had so far if you're not familiar with chris Card, check him out just search him on google um he's you know he's got millions of followers and has done tons of crazy uh, projects and um his interview was extremely inspirational to me too, because it was almost like everything I would ask him, he would just answer this like incredibly inspirational yeah. <laughs> thing. It was just like, wow, okay, you're a great interview, uh, and he he was really great. So I, I can't speak highly enough of all the guests that we've had: uh, Sorel, Amore, uh, Lizzie Pierce, and Chris Howe. Um, you know aaron outdoors jason vong uh kitty peters garrett king matt como um joshio i mean it's the list goes on and on it's it's really incredible and uh sorry if anybody's listening to this podcast that i interviewed and i didn't mention your name i'm sorry um (laughs) but yeah we have uh 25 episodes we've been going at it you know one a week every single tuesday um for the last you know 25 weeks so um and where can the listeners find that Yeah, uh, you can find it on obviously anywhere you get podcasts. If you're listening to this on your podcast player. You're used to podcasts. So just search Golden Hour Podcast. Um, But if you want to watch the video portion of the podcast, we are not hosting it on YouTube, but we are hosting it on our website. Uh, It's nice and clean. There's no ads. There's no suggestions. It's just a Vimeo unlisted video. Like it's nice and clean. So you just – you go to polarprofilters.com. Uh, slash golden hour. Um, and that's how you can find it polarprofilters.com. Or if you want to just search polarpro.com, uh, scroll down a little bit. There's like a big golden hour banner. You can click that. Um, and we're we, we have the, the video of it's a multi camera uh interview. Um, we, yeah, like we it's were, nice. There's like overlays of like the photos that you guys are talking about. <laughs> like it's like yeah. an
1: actual production, like it's nice.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we try to make the video as as entertaining as possible. Um, and yeah, so we we have the guest. Um, we were I love this interview, by the way. This Skype is pretty incredible. <laughs> I, wish, I wish we did Skype. Gee, thanks. So yeah. Easy. So, <laughs> Here I am. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice yeah, 3 I
1: mean, camera setups, and oh yeah, Skype yeah. is cool too.
0: <laughs> Skype is great, but um, we just. From the beginning, wanted to only do it in person, so uh, we have a little desk, and you know, I interview them in person, uh, and it's been it's been nice. So um, it does limit us because there's people that we probably could get on that we really would love to get on, and they can only do Skype, and we've just kind of said no, we'll we'll let. Um, <laughs> we'll let the beginner photography podcast do that
1: yeah hey i'm more than happy to take them for sure yeah yeah we should we should send some guests your way well that's always my question after uh every interview is who do you know <laughs> that uh, you think would be a great uh guest on the podcast so i'll be sure absolutely. to get some names
0: for sure oh i've got some great names <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs>
1: Um, well, I got one last question for you before I let you go. We've been going for this is the longest podcast we've ever done. <laughs> this is oh, now an I'm hour sorry, and a half. This is no, this is incredible. Uh, I know the listeners are getting a ton out of this. Um, is there is there one piece of um, information that you hear given to new photographers uh, that is just perhaps poor or just incomplete information?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um... <clears throat> so, this is going to be kind of controversial. Ooh, uh, I, I, love I love it. it. So, uh, hear me out. Uh, a lot of people definitely say gear doesn't matter. And I've even said that, you know, in this podcast. And that's true. But it sort of does too. <laughs> like, at th- because at the end of the day, like, if you truly are shooting on an iPhone for a professional shoot, your gear matters you know like like it does absolutely matter i think it's become kind of a uh a saying that that a lot of professionals have been saying a lot like gear doesn't matter, you know You need to understand composition you understand lighting you need to understand storytelling. Yes. 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 That's all so true I a thousand percent agree you need to know those um, those skills, but Gear does matter because you have to have a camera to, to shoot um, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be a $5,000 full-frame camera, but consider doing some research like technology has gotten extremely good if you're shooting on a uh, power shot or a, you know a point and shoot camera um those are great cameras but the sensor sizes in those are the size of your pinky fingernail and uh they're not much better than your iphone if you if you are still shooting on an iphone um look at some different apps uh, there's some great raw uh, shooting apps that you can shoot with uh, on your phone and you can edit in raw um, in a way an app can change uh, your camera you know I use I use an app called Focus, Focos F-O-C-O-S um, and and that ties into the portrait mode on my phone and what it does is it allows you to change the aperture it allows you to kind of effectively change the lens so it it changes the bokeh of the that fake portrait blur and most of my instagram pictures of uh i take pictures of gear on my instagram account um most of those pictures are taken on my phone now and they look great the portrait mode has gotten really good um but at the end of the day gear does matter and invest in gear that, um, that's affordable. Something that you can afford. Obviously, don't go beyond your means by any means. Uh, that's a that, that sounds funny. Uh, right. <laughs> but means means. But, but do some research. Cameras have gotten better and better. The the industry has been hasn't been any more uh, competitive than ever. Um, and so you can look at camera brands that maybe you didn't even consider before, like Olympus or Fuji, um, and look at what they have to offer at those lower price brackets. You can totally get a camera that is amazing for $500. Um, and if we haven't even mentioned this, I highly recommend people look on the used market for for gear as well oh yeah for sure for sure you can buy an old uh 5d mark ii you know which is an old camera for sure but it's a full frame camera uh for a really good price point um even the 5d classic i've shot wedding videos with wedding photographers that swear by the original 5d they i've literally met two or three different photographers that only shoot on the 5d one which came out today yeah and it's super slow the autofocus is terrible but they swear by the image quality they love the skin tones and the colors they think it looks more filmic because when you go back to like 2006 2004 the the standard that a lot of these companies like Canon and Icon were comparing their sensors to was was film so when you go back to those 2005 cameras they do have a more filmic tone and richness to it Um, and now things are getting more hyper uh, sharp Uh, the dynamic range is going beyond what film ever could do and so with the new technology from Sony and all these new cameras you know you're getting images that look technically excellent um, but they can maybe lose some of that mojo or that that kind of magic so Buying an older camera is not anything to uh, to poo-poo. Like it's totally a great option, um, and I would highly recommend it. So gear does matter but it doesn't mean that gear has to be expensive wonderful
1: that's a that's a great note I think to, to, to lead off on this uh, this podcast so Dave uh, I got to thank you for coming on and being so uh, gracious with your time you know two hours Excellent. away from your uh, your family and uh, and editing is, uh, is is not easy to do so again I have to I have to thank <laughs> you for that um, thank you for sharing everything that you did uh, I'm Absolutely. gonna put links to everything that we talked about today including a glossary because I know that're We got into things like, you know, in body image stabilization that I'm sure people (laughs) were like, wait, what's going on? So there's going to be a full glossary in the uh, in the show notes of today's podcast. So, again, Dave, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm excited to keep up with you and see uh, what you're doing here in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me
1: on. Okay, real quick show of hands. uh, Who didn't think that they were going to need that glossary of terms at the beginning of this episode? Okay, and now, who actually did use the glossary of terms? I want to know. <laughs> uh, it's clear that, that Dave is just incredibly knowledgeable about gear and cameras and uh so, I want, you know, if you had a hard time keeping up, I actually want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to save this podcast episode, maybe, you know, copy the link or, you know, whatever it is, and put it in your calendar to listen to this episode again in one year. So, what is that? That'll be, uh, Sept- I mean, from, I guess, whenever you're listening to it. But if you're listening to it the day that it goes live, September, uh, you know, middle of September 2020, listen to this episode again. Uh, and, and, and just take note of, of how much you, you will understand. And I think that it is going to surprise you just to see your growth of, of how many more terms that you understand and how it feels more natural to listen to this conversation rather than, you know technical engineering talk um so i challenge you to do that and i would love to hear the results so if you're listening to this anytime after september uh, of 2020 if you're re-listening to this episode uh please you know reach out to me let me know uh, how much you've grown as a photographer so also, one of the last things that uh, Dave was talking about was obviously his Golden Hour podcast, and uh, that's one way that I found Dave, um, and and I can totally attest to what he said earlier that the Golden Hour podcast, that even though it's put on by Polar Pro, it is not one big ad for Polar Pro. Um, in fact, it's rarely ever mentioned except for in the intro that the that the uh, that the show is brought to you by Polar Pro. So. Uh, I I can I can promise you that, uh, you know, Dave does a really great job of asking insightful questions and 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 thought provoking ideas that that help you grow as a photographer, like he said. And I've noticed the same thing in in hosting podcasts as well. So if you download it, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Again, that's the Golden Hour podcast uh, by Polar Pro that you can just search for in iTunes or whatever, you know, podcast player that you listen to, you'll be able to find it. So that's it. I'm going to keep this brief. I know that this was a long interview. And if you're if you're still listening to this, hats off to you. Congratulations. You are a true fan of the show and I appreciate you more than you know. So until next week, I want you to get out. I want you to keep shooting. I want you to stay safe. And most importantly, I want you to focus on yourself. All right. I love you all. If you enjoyed today's
0: podcast, please leave us a review in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. And continue the conversation with Raymond and other listeners of the podcast by joining the Beginner Photography Podcast Facebook group today. Thank you. We'll see you again next week.